Happy holidays, everyone. It's Hatton with another Best of 2023, and we are going with one with a friend of ours from Blacker Than Black Times Infinity. It is Cthulhu's Prodigy. We're talking movies that replaced actors. See you guys next time. Art, comedy, pop culture, and much more. You're listening to ACPN. Okay, here we go. Something, okay, here we go. Hey, everybody. I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob. And it is March, so it is time for four weeks of the review of Drumline on the Something Something cast. <laughs> we told- four weeks of the review. <laughs> we told people that's what we were going to do. Did we? Oh, Mar- March. Yeah, March. March is, marching. It's, March. It's March's right. big band month. <laughs> March, yeah. It's not what big band means. <laughs> it's this and uh, ska music all weekend. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, how are you, sir? It is March now, officially, finally. It is. We are done with all of the uh, month of love stuff. Hope you all enjoyed that. For those of you who are Patreons of ours, you heard a completely different half episode <laughs> before this episode started because we got into talking about some wild different stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with this episode, not only did it have nothing to do with this episode, it had even less to do with this episode than our tangents normally do. Wild and that's saying stuff. something. Wacky, wild stuff. Wacky and stuff. we have an interesting topic we're doing a little differently, and we have brought along a guest. Rob, if you would do the honors. We did. Um, instead of doing our regular listicle episodes, uh, we were going to discuss uh, movies and some TV shows where... They had replaced a primary actor, or maybe they should have when they didn't. And uh, to help facilitate that, we are now going to replace uh, James Hatton with the uh, ever-popular Cthulhu's Prodigy from Blacker Than Black Times Infinity. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, happy to be here. Love this topic. Love you guys. Uh, I just can't wait, because this is going to be a fun free-flowing conversation <laughs> with some really good examples and some terrible examples now this whole episode concept kind of came up and was birthed from a conversation that you and i were having on twitter mm-hmm. uh regarding a movie that just recently dropped on disney plus correct yeah yeah i think th- so uh, if i'm not mistaken because there's so many d- different twitter conversations but i think it was with right. Honda forever and the whole recast t'challa question or, or controversy correct yeah because that had ever since uh chadwick's unfortunate and untimely passing there had been speculation of what was going to happen and what they were going to do and we had gotten into some uh conversations back and forth about what we thought the best option of that was going to be. And I mean, that kind of just brought to the forefront of my mind. This is not the first time that actors have had to be replaced for one reason or another. 
Um, and there are some good examples and there are some bad examples. So we figured we were going to try to talk about some of them. Yeah, I can't wait. This is good. This is such a timely topic. It's a classic topic because, you know, th- there's <laughs> there's examples and this has been going on ever since, you know, TV and film started or actually yeah. even back to the theater days. Yeah, so exactly. this is going to be fun. Yeah, one of the first one of the first examples I ran into, and I had completely forgotten about it. I went many years ago. I went on a Wizard of Oz bent. I'm a big fan of the Wizard of Oz. Um, the Tin Man had been replaced because the makeup gave uh, Buddy Ebsen like silver lung or some shit. Like he had a crazy reaction, so they replaced him. So probably a good one um, to start with. Just if we're gonna look back at time immemorial. Um, if you ever see the original makeup for the Tin Man, it's goddamn horrifying. Um, he's got like big black. He's like literally got eyeliner circles around his eyes, and he is the thing nightmares are made of. Just to prove your point, it's been going on for as long as cinema has been around. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely, no, that's a great example. Where did you come from? Where did you come? Where did you come out at on Wakanda Forever? Were you? Did you want? them to just replace um, Chadwick or what was your stance on Wakanda? Cause I've heard a thousand topics. I was surprised it was so varied. Yeah. I, I think I'm a little nuanced on this one. I think that there could have been ideally a much longer waiting period. Uh, we've had to wait for certain MCU specific sequels for, a longer period of time. We remember Black Panther uh, 1 came out in 2018. This one dropped in November of 2022. Mm-hmm. So, you know, looking at about four years, it could have, in my mind, been uh, stretched out, especially with all the pandemic and everything, to 2024 or so. And I think that for me personally, um, seeing T'Challa again in a... Uh, uh, a sequel movie to the 2018 version just would have been ideal. Um, I know that it was still fairly fresh. That's why I would have given it another couple of years to um, marinate and kind of bake and and do all the pre-production and casting and all of that. But I would have liked to have seen T'Challa Black Panther mm-hmm. as uh, the, the lead. And I think uh, a different actor could have fulfilled that role quite well. That's my 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 take, and it's no shade to Letitia Wright no, or, no, no. or Shuri whatsoever, but just I wanted to see T'Challa uh, uh, again, and uh, and I think there was still a way to honor Chadwick's memory, wait a little longer, and still do the recasting. And to be very candid as well, uh, some of his family, as Chadwick's family, sure. were in support of that. So, what did you guys think? Personally, I have I. I have not actually seen Wakanda Forever. Me and my wife have not had time to sit and watch a Marvel movie in about two Marvels. So we I'm backlogged on Black Panther. But Rob, I know you've seen it. What's your thoughts? So much like much like Cthulhu had said, I my thoughts on this are fairly uh nuanced and wide ranging. I will start by saying uh I have nothing against Letitia Wright as a actress or as a actor some of her views i don't necessarily agree with or or subscribe to but there are certain people and certain characters that i personally can take in small doses 
I didn't mind Shuri's character in the first Black Panther movie because she wasn't the focus of it. Mm. Wasn't really crazy about Wakanda Forever because she was on my screen for too long. Like there was there was too much of her in that movie. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like in uh, like you know we talked about Thor. You know, great Korg is like one of the main characters now. I can take that character for all of about three minutes. Right. Once we hit that mark. It's like, okay, fine, this guy's, they gave him more lines, so he's on my screen even longer, okay? Um, it's just, it, it's that thing. There's some people where it's like, cool, I could take him in, you know, 15 minutes out of a two-hour movie, but if I see an hour and a half of you in a two-hour movie, I just, I'm, I'm not that invested and I'm not that bought in. So that was kind of the first hurdle I had to get over. I don't think there was a right choice. No, there wasn't. That's one very Because either way... People were going to bash it. They were going to praise it. They were going to second guess it. Da, 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 da. It's it was a very unfortunate circumstance. And how do you how do you honor and and kind of praise the work that he did uh, by not just kind of erasing him and casting somebody else in that spot, but conversely. Like, I saw stuff online where it was like, you know, why couldn't they have made Killmonger uh, the new Black Panther? Because he kind of was for a while in the first movie. Sort of, and yeah. you're going to tell, tell me they couldn't comic book his way out of being killed in the first movie and bring him back for the second one? And I read that, and I was kind of like, this person who wrote this, I don't really think they get it. Mm -hmm. Because if they can quote-unquote comic book out of death Killmonger, then, of course, the next argument made completely on bad faith is, well, if you can do it to Killmonger, why can't you do it to T'Challa? Right. Well, you know why we can't do it to T'Challa, right. jerk off. It's yeah. not something that can be done. So, and that starts to, like, you know, eliminate the, the mysticism and stuff in it. Um, I, I don't think... I was okay with the way they did it. The first part of that movie was very gut-wrenching and very, you know, heartstring-tugging, seeing all of the murals and everything like that. Um, and I was okay with that. Uh, to kind of slide into my first example, what I don't like is when something like that tragic happens to an actor and to honor them, the movie tries to pretend that that actor slash character is still around mm -hmm. to right. me that's more egregious are you talking like they he passed away this person passed away and they uh just cgi'd them in the next film or like oh or do you mean like oh bob's down the street even though everybody knows the reason he didn't film the next scene is because he passed away more the second one. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm yeah. specifically talking about Fast and the Furious 9. Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah. We know that he passed away. Yeah. We know Brian is not coming back. What yeah. I feel would have been, if I was the writer of these movies, what I would have felt was more of a honor to that character is we all know that whatever bullshit happens in the first three quarters of a Fast and the Furious movie, everybody ends up being buddy buddies by the end. They all go back to Dom's backyard. They all sit around that horrible homemade table <laughs> and have their dinner, whatever they're going to do. 
They could easily just have that empty seat, that plate, that beer sitting there. They all kind of look at it. They know who it's for, and then we move on. The audience sees it. They know who it's for. Cool, this is my little shrine, my little Brian honor. We move on. The fact that they looked at the seat, and then Dom and Letty look at each other, and Letty goes, he said he'd be here. And then it cuts to the front of the house, and you see Brian's car kind of slide into the driveway. And then the scene cuts. I literally like put my head in my hands and I'm like, he's not driving that car. Like who is believing that this is like, you're not going to recast the part. Just, we don't need to do this. I understand that, you know, Vin wants to do this as kind of like honor of his best friend. And he, you know, named his daughter after him and everything and blah, blah, blah. But we don't need that. Nobody's fooled. And (laughs) nobody's looking at it going, Hey, that's a great idea. To that point, it pulls you right out of the movie immediately. 100%. Like that one spot, because all you're thinking about is, oh, right, they're talking about the character who died. Oh, wait, the character who died has come to dinner. What are they going to do? (laughs) Even if they had just left it with her looking at him going, he said he was going to be here. Like, even that's a little bit too far, but for me personally... But it's not like seeing his car pull into the driveway. Yeah. Can I just also say it's also a huge ensemble cast. Like there's there's enough characters in every Fast and the Fury movie, Furious movie, to really focus on just the core Dom and you know Tyrese and Ludacris and all the other team, and and not ignore the the passing, especially in the most. Uh, recent one right after uh, Brian died, but you know y- you could just focus on all the other characters and do a little tribute and keep moving on and not kind of play on the heartstrings of the audience, at least to me, but I'd love to get your no, take. You're 100%. I thought the end of Seven where, like, you know, they used some of his brothers and CGI'd his face over them to finish those final scenes, where he kind of pulls up alongside Dom for that quote-unquote last race, and then, you know, the roads just kind of diverge and they just take the each take their own road and off they go. That was fucking beautiful. Like yep. I was sitting here watching it going, it's just dusty in here. It's okay. <laughs> it's fine. But like, don't fuck up that beautiful ending that you did as a tribute for that by in the next two movies being like, oh, he'll be here. Don't worry about it. And then mm-hmm. like, that's unnecessary. I'm with you. I, I think that that's a really good uh, point that you're making and a good approach to doing things tastefully, but also respecting the audience's intelligence. You know, exactly. Yeah. Can, can I give a really good example that Please. I think is fairly recent that I liked with recasting? Sure. I think it doesn't quite get enough credit for what it is. Well, I'm curious if it's the I'm one gonna, that I have is that. Please. Mm-hmm. Please. I'm going to take you guys all the way back to the year 2007, one year prior to the MCU, and mm-hmm. our feelings about uh, comic book movies, and especially Marvel comic book movies, were completely different back in these days. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man 3 dropped. Yep. And we got a chance to see a very highly anticipated uh third movie with Tobey Maguire and we saw finally Topher Grace's Venom. 
everybody hated this, mm-hmm. <laughs> including uh, Sam Raimi. Hope for Grace seemed to hate uh, his his betrayal, uh, how it looked, everything about Venom and Eddie Brock in that movie. Mm-hmm. You fast forward to the I want to say 2018. Hopefully, I got the year right. <clears throat> Tom Hardy recasting of Venom. And I think it's a complete 180. I am not defending all of the questionable quality or even CGI uh, of the first Venom movie or the second Venom movie. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is Tom Hardy embraced that role as his own and did a better job representing Venom on screen, even minus Spider-Man, than Topher Grace. And I just loved how he owned it. And I don't think he gets enough credit for where that character was under Topher Grace. I think your point That's is... That's what I wanted to bring up first. And I think your point is strong because the Topher Grace version by Spider-Man 3, and I think it just sort of leaks out of every pore of that movie, that Raimi was done with Sony. Um, mm-hmm. That Venom can be a cool character. He doesn't have to be like the one character that all your peop- all your friends who don't read comics think they know. Uh, let me see. It's Venom, Silver Surfer, and Wolverine. Yeah. (laughs) And if there was a guy who could take that mentality of a character, I definitely agree that Hardy is, was the right guy to try it. I think there's other things going on. I think it CGI aside, like you are correct. He was the right guy to play that character. And I hope if, they continue along in a Spider-Verse with Disney MCU. They give him the shot to, to really to hold the scene, you know, to hold the spot um, for, for at least another film where he gets to interact with, uh, what's his face, little guy whose name always eludes me. Tom Holland. Tom Holland, thank you. Little guy. He's a little guy. <laughs> um, now, personally, my two cents on this whole thing, I, I agree that, uh, Tom Hardy is a much better pick for that role. Uh, I have not seen any of the Venom movies. I have honestly have no interest in seeing the Venom movies. To be to be clear, and, and the 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 thing that kind of groaned its way for me was watching the trailer and seeing that one scientist chick pronounce it symbiote, and I was just like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like nails on a chalkboard. But I now I see Venom as a reboot. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have much more forgiveness for changing of the guard when it comes to changing actors, actresses, ins and out for reboots and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and that's, that's my personal take on it. It's, it's still a great example because the original Spider-Man, like, it was coming off of a high. Spider-Man 2 was really fucking good. And then that third one was kind of like... Mm. Spider-Man 2 felt like Matrix Resurrections. Like, it was just like, because we were all contractually obligated... A Highlander, let's just, Highlander 2. Let's just, let's just fucking finish this thing and get it over with. Yeah. Um, and yet, I, I, from the minute I saw that movie, it's like, oh, Eddie Brock is played by... Topher Grace, interesting, was like my first thought right. when I saw that whole thing anyway. So anybody could have done a better job. That 70s show guy? Really? Exactly. As Venom in here's, that movie. All right. Here's one that um, 
I hope at least one of you guys have seen because I think it is it would this is probably the weird choice but the only reason this weird choice works is because of the person who made the movie but I thought it was fantastic because it flows I'm talking about Terry Gilliam's um, Dr. Parnassus yes so Heath Ledger was supposed to uh, be playing the part and obviously tragedy of Heath Ledger occurs they were mid-filming um, and apparently, Heath, from what I understand, Heath Ledger was major parts of that movie getting funded because it's a fairly expensive film. Terry Gilliam doing his craziness. So to sort of fix that, to patch that up because Heath Ledger was such a, a proponent of that project, they got Jude Law. Let me see. I thought I can get the list right. It was Jude Law, Johnny Depp, and Colin Farrell yep. as to, to play the Heath Ledger role all just like... He's just him because they're in a different spot now. It's a different world and a different place. And so it's a different guy. And it was so interestingly done. It completely takes you away from thinking about, oh, Heath Ledger. Because now you're like, motherfucker, that's Johnny Depp. Where'd he come from? Yeah. Did either of you happen to? Please. No, I I was just saying I'm nodding my head in agreement on that one. I, I, I hadn't thought about it for so long, but you're... I think spot on. That was that was a solid one, and uh, especially with Johnny Depp. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just because it's a weird one. Like it's, I don't think I can think of another movie that just said, you know what, we're just going to replace the actor with an entirely different actor, and since our movie's bat fuck, we can just do that, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, I think, kind of the brilliance of that movie because, I mean, a Terry Gilliam that that movie's effectively a fucking Salvador Dali painting to begin with. Anything he does <laughs> off the fucking rails. Right. But because of the story that movie was trying to tell and the way that that movie was telling that story, they had that out, so to speak, to be able to do that. And to be honest, even if Heath Ledger hadn't passed they still could have done the movie that way and it would have been a stylistic choice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they, I, I think that's, that was probably a very safe example because they could do that anyway with the story that was trying to tell. Um, one of my silly ones, uh, any of you guys see major league? Oh, of course. Oh, of course. Baseball movie. Yeah. The, f- the first movie, Willie Mays Hayes, played by Wesley Snipes. Second movie comes along, and they replace him with Omar Epps, and everybody kind of yes. went, uh, okay. I mean, definitely, Omar he's a fine definitely, actor. Yeah, he's, very he's no actor. Wesley. Yeah, he's no Wesley Snipes. Um, that was. It was an interesting choice, but it wasn't an, like he wasn't enough of a major character in the second movie yeah. that I think anybody really cared. Mm-hmm. Um. But that was like one of the one of the ones that just stuck in my mind when we were talking about actors getting replaced. I'm like, that was kind of a big change in star power. As a note, do you know what the biggest difference is between Omar Epps and Wesley Snipes? Omar Epps pays his uh, he pays his taxes. Oh wow! (laughs) What? True. (laughs) Just saying. I just keep I just keep hearing (laughs) the the coach's voice in my head. Who are you? Willie Mays Hayes. Hit like Mays, run like Hayes. Well, you may hit like Mays, but you run like shit. (laughs) 
pretty good impression. Uh, I like it. That was, he does stupid oh, impressions out of nowhere. Terrible impression. Oh, All right, time. It. But I appreciate it. Time to get to bad ones. Cause sure. We're, we're being too nice. Can I? Can I give one? Oh, sure. Please. And this is a bit controversial. You know, I don't know you guys' thoughts, but um, I loved Batman Begins way back in 05. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I think that Katie Holmes knocked it out of the park as the, you know, the love interest um, and leading lady to uh, Bruce Wayne. Mm -hmm. um, and The Dark Knight is one of the most uh, impressive comic book movies to me uh, of all time. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal gets almost zero credit uh, for the greatness of the Dark Knight, she did not work, and she was a direct character replacement to uh, Katie Holmes. Yeah, um, I w I've watched both movies. I don't know now about fifteen to twenty times, and it's night and day. Katie Holmes just knocks it out of the park. Much she's much more uh, courageous and feisty, and just has better on-screen chemistry with Bruce. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal didn't have a whole lot of that going on, and even though they they tried, it's it's well written and everything. It's just a downgrade for me personally, uh, all the way around. I think they should have stuck with Katie Holmes throughout that entire trilogy, uh, or you know at least through the second movie. And as many people praise all the things about uh, the Dark Knight, I have yet to hear. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal included as one of the actors that deserves praise for that movie. I won't lie to you. Until you just said it, I had completely forgotten she was who was replaced. Uh, like who she rep I remember Katie Holmes. I completely forgot Katie uh, Gyllenhaal. And I like Katie Gyllenhaal in a couple things, but you are 100% right. She is utterly forgettable. <laughs> you are mixing names, sir. What? It's Maggie Katie Gyllenhaal. Holmes and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh, sorry. That's how forgettable she is. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. I, to to kind of could kind of follow what he was saying. I didn't know they were supposed to be the same character. I like that's how bad I was. Just like, oh, it's another woman that Bruce Wayne is stooping. I didn't even like put two and two together that they were supposed to be the same. Maggie, Maggie, and Katie Gyllenholms were. There we go. Apparently, uh, is there a reason for that? Like, did did somebody get pissed off at something? No, apparently uh, Katie Holmes chose to star in a crime comedy called Mad Money, which was filming when Dark Knight was filming. Good choices. So she was the one that made the choice to go to the different movie in Gyllenhaal's role. Um, and it does say that she approached the character as an entirely new character attitude. Yeah, it was, it was different, all right. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure was. Mm-hmm. Different enough that I didn't even know it was the same fucking character. So, Woo! here's one that I didn't <laughs> know existed until about a year ago. I was unaware uh, that the Mummy movies kept, kept, kept going. And there is, uh, let me see which one is it. I can't remember the, let me see if I can find the exact I know there's it. at least four. Yeah, the there is one that is the Terracotta Army. Yep, and they that was the third one. They replace... Uh, Rachel Vice with another chick, another name who legitimately, if I didn't have it in front of me, I couldn't tell you it was um, Maria Bello. 
Mm. And the first time you see her, they have your back to her. You know it's supposed to be Evie. You and she turns around and she goes, ah, "I feel like a new woman," or some silly, paltry bullshit. And I loved Rachel Vice in the Mummy movies. She's got the exact right of like nerdy, the right sarcastic, the stunt work. I don't know whether it was her or not, but like it fits her. And they switch her to this Carmen Sandiego looking woman who's come, who comes across very stiff comparatively. Um, let's add in it's a very bad film. But the first time I saw that movie, and again, it was only like a year or two ago. I, I was I just floored. Like, how did you do that? How is this movie? I mean, you have Brendan Fraser, so good on you for that. But how did you replace Rachel Vice? Just say she went on safari somewhere. Good God, yes. this is a bad decision. I think I have seen that one, and I blocked it out of my mind. It was just that bad. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen the third one. That was the one with Jet Li. Yeah. Uh, the Jet Tomb, Li. Of the Dra- Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, yeah. Yeah. And, like, Scorpion King sci-fi, Scorpion King CGI? I, imagine that, but it's an entire terracotta army of, of oh. sort of walking. Yeah. Gumby army. Yeah. Ugh. I thought you were going to go with... Uh, with a couch jumper with Tom Cruise because he played the role in 2017 when that one came out. 2017? Couch jumper. Oh, Tom Cruise is couch jumper. Yeah, yeah, Tom Cruise, yeah. Oh, that mu- Oh, I see what you're doing. No, I almost consider those almost new franchises because he wasn't playing uh, the Brandon character, the Brandon Fraser character. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Not to, the, but not yeah, to my awareness. Re- right? Replacing Rachel Vice is criminal. <sighs> in anything. Yeah, she, she's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm here for that, and that—that's the only uh, actress that I will take for that role in any mummy movie. Yeah. Period. What are the bad ones you guys got? Uh, um, go ahead. So, uh, similarly to the Black Panther and Wakanda Forever situation. Uh, all the way back in 1994, uh, a similar unfortunate situation kind of happened and they had to figure out what they were going to do in the sequel because Brandon Lee wasn't around anymore. Indeed. And they came up with Vincent Perez. Now, it wasn't good. No. There has not been a crow movie since. That is they're really good. They're really they have they have progressively and exponentially gone downhill since the first one. Um, Somewhere Marcus is posting an Eddie Furlong gif. There, I'll I'll use the term out. Was that they tried to pose it that it wasn't being recast that these same circumstances were happening again with a different person, which is what happened with every subsequent Crow movie. It was almost like, you know, every new reincarnation of the doctor is a new actor. They were, it was a very similar thing, but that kind of set along a trend where every movie that came out after that changed lead actors. And it, like Batman did the same thing for a very long time there too, where it was just the thing to be like, we're going to get somebody else to do the next Batman and the next Batman after that. 
no. um, in their in their ever so slight defense, mm-hmm. in the comics, that's what happens. Every one of the you know there's each one of the stories is like six issues, and each one of them is a different person who died and comes back as the spirit of the crow, etc. So in the, in their ever so slight defense. Now I read the original James Obar Crow comics mm-hmm. before I went and saw the first movie. Did those other Crow comics come out after the second movie, or were they always there? Oh, I couldn't tell you that. I'm guessing it's probably a hot mix. If I was to guess, there was probably a series, maybe one other series other after the movie. I know there was a lot more after the movie. So, so the point Crow comic valid. book series... Have some validity because Jail Bar has never done anything other than the Crow series is, is to my best of my knowledge. I'm sure he's done other things, but right. And and so, but and that's what I'm saying. So the original was created in '89. Jesus. Um. And then obviously, you know, Mark Dacascos in the television series, blah blah blah. But I just I don't know if they started doing the extra. comics after you know what i mean yeah and it's like a, after it's a the second point. movie to try to help merge that idea together because mm. the first series the first comic book series was very like beginning middle end period yep. dot done yep yep so i i almost tend to think that the rest of those comics came about after the movie do you want a hat and fun fact the sure. one piece of fan fiction I've ever written was a Crow X-Force crossover where Ooh. Thunderbird dies. Good Lord. And takes the uh, mantle of the Crow to go after the Marauders. Mm. There you go. There's there's like my deep, some deep nerd shit right there. I love it. <laughs> Cthulhu, I was hoping you would understand all of those words. I, I get every. I got all of that. I, no, that's I knew you would. I love it. Um, can I do a couple of quick X Men? Oh yes, re- please recast that I think sure. atrocious. Um, no, number one, and, and this is no shaded whatsoever to uh, the subsequent actor, but Professor X <laughs> will always be Sir Patrick Stewart. And I love James McAvoy. I think he's a phenomenal actor in his own right. Um, but clearly, I think the overwhelming number of moviegoers and just X-Men fans viewed Sir Patrick Stewart playing Professor X as perfect casting. He was obviously coming off of... Uh, Star Trek, The Next Generation, all of those years, mm-hmm. we saw him obviously bald and leading and, and, you know, sitting down in a chair and being very Roy regal and all of that other stuff. He was perfect. Yep. And I think one of the reasons why we see Professor X as Sir Patrick Stewart in, you know, his cameos in the recent, I think it was Doctor Strange movie, uh, obviously he was in, you know, the futuristic Logan and all, all of that. I think it's because he just owns that role, role so much better than uh, James does. Um, again, no shade to him as an actor, but the shoes were too big for James to fill. And the writing didn't help, no. but it never 
manifested into him owning the role in his own right in a different way than Patrick Stewart or uh, outshining. And that's obviously very hard to do. Sir Patrick Stewart, he will forever be Professor X. And they should have just, in my opinion, kept him as Professor X the entire time. Yeah. I, you will not hear any argument from me. I personally, first class is the first X-Men movie not that true. X3 was the first X-Men movie I didn't like, but I really disliked First Class um, from the big character shift that they did there. Uh, and I'm... There is... A sci- and I'm sure this is included in your bit, that Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy, do, they just didn't have the same chemistry, same type of chemistry that... Um, Holy crap, Ian McKellen, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart had. Yeah. They just felt like two men fighting for their personal belief system. Mm-hmm. And it's, as a huge X-Men fan, it when I'm so with you across the board. Yeah. I, now, I know, just, this is gonna, I know this is going to come as a shock, but I'm going to disagree with James. Um, First class is bad. I, I loved First Class. I thought, with the exception of January Jones, I thought she was terrible. Um, they could have had a cardboard cutout play her part, and they it did. would have been no different to the movie. But as a movie, I loved First Class. I loved the, the, the premise of it. I loved that it was kind of a prequel to the whole thing. My question to you, Cthulhu's Prodigy, is since this was supposed to be like a prequel, like 30 years in the before the X-Men movies... Who, like, how do you have Patrick Stewart play that role? Honestly, um, and I know this was right at the cusp of pushing the line with this from a technical standpoint, but I would have rather have seen a de-aged Sir Patrick Stewart hmm. than James. And I know that's, that, that's cutting it close, because what year did uh, first, uh, first Class come out? Yeah, that's, I'm going to say that... 2011. Could be yeah. hard. It, it it would have been a tall order. I get it, or maybe even prosthetic makeup. I just I don't think of James as that role. Um, he he just didn't own it for me. I thought it was still a downgrade. And I get what you're saying. You make an excellent point in, in terms of it being in the '60s and all of that. I, I get it, but. The, the my alternative if you can't do the de-aging well you know enough with a passing grade then you need to get an actor that makes the role of professor x a young professor x more compelling like to truly own it for himself and as soon as that because he was in uh, james was in i think a, a full-on trilogy right yeah if i'm not mistaken yep 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 even after that trilogy, what did we all want? We wanted <laughs> Sir Patrick Stewart to come and, back. Oh, sure. And when they show him, you know exactly who he is, and they even play the little cartoon track <laughs> in the star in the strange movie. I marked like the biggest pro, pro wrestling nerd ever. I I liked James McAvoy's Professor X. I loved Fassbender as Magneto, and I can explain away and validate the chemistry of the relationship being different because this is a new relationship for the two of them. 
they have not been having this pragmatic and dogmatic difference of cultural opinion for 50 years by the time we see them in the current X-Men movies, like the, the recent up-to-date X-Men movies where we see uh, Ian McKellen and Sir Patrick Stewart. So I can give them a pass on the difference in the relationship because one's been going on for five years, one's been going on for 50, and they're still, like, you know, beating each other's heads against the wall. Um, but it's still but it's still a very valid point. Um, I still like first class. 7.7 yeah. 7 out of 10 on IMDb, 86% on Rotten Tomatoes, so. There you go. So, um, and oh, go ahead, please. One, one quick one, sorry, one more, more quick one. I, it is really going to be fast. I just would like to give a shout out to the only mystique that I will ever recognize, and that is Rebecca Romaine Stamos. <laughs> um, Jennifer Lawrence did not own that role. She infamously did not like putting on blue prosthetic. I'm sorry, but if you don't like wearing blue prosthetic and prosthetics and and being in the makeup chair for hours and hours on end, don't play mystique. Dude. Don't take the role. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's not like her first day on set. She was like, I'm sorry, I have to do what? Like, she knew the job description going in. Yeah. And and Rebecca just seemed like not only did she own that role so vividly, but you never heard about her complaining. Uh, you know, she's sliding basically uh, bodysuit almost naked. Uh, on, on cold concrete, you know, mm-hmm, and right. she's still oh, yeah, she just owning everything. She's scary. She's exotic looking. She just steals scenes, and she did a, a fabulous job uh, with obviously Magneto that we've already mentioned. Well done all the way around. That is the only mystique that I will ever recognize. Rebecca Romaine Sims. And you know the 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 interesting thing I would like to point out here is a lot of these instances where we are not keen on the replacement, it's because whoever did the role the first time was just so fucking good at it. Right, the imprint like, in your And head. That's, where, that's where the outrage comes from. It's like, you know, when... When you see it on screen and, you know, you almost do the uh, do the meme where you sit forward in your chair and you're pointing at the screen. You're like, that's that's what was in my head. That's the mm-hmm. guy who should be playing or that's the girl who should be playing that role. And then when they change that, you're like, well, wait a minute. Now. That's that's not nearly as good as what we had before. Why would you guys ruin that? Now, I'm going to spin that because I think this leads to. A very good one, an actor who is playing the pre-aged version of a character, or a character before we met him, anyway. And that is um, Spock on Star Trek Discovery. He's played by mm-hmm. Ethan Peck. Now, I don't. I know you're not deep in the in the new Star Trek, Rob. Uh, if I don't know whether you are as well, Cthulhu, but he plays the Spock before Kirk. He plays the Spock when he was still very deeply Vulcan, living in a Vulcan world, um, but only occasionally sort of touching on his emotions. Um, it touches on his when he goes crazy, like it foreshadows Khan. He has taken the Leonard Nimoy Spock that we know, and he's made it very much his own, and he plays it excellently. But 
I think you make a, the point of the fact that we have that imprint of the first actor. Yeah. Because there's a middle guy there of Zachary Quinto who played Spock fine. I think he did a fine job. I don't like the J.J. Abrams Trek movies, but I think he did a fine job as Spock. So even if you didn't like him there, you kind of go, all right, somebody else can do that. And now you have this new guy and he's re-imprinting the role for himself. He's doing an excellent job, though. I'm, I'm with you on that one. And that's... That's all. I need to. I, I'm not as uh, current on the latest and greatest uh, Star Trek. Oh, it's so good. But, but I, but I need to catch up. When they put it behind a paywall, that uh, I kind of crushed some of my hopes and dreams. Yeah, yeah. We do the. Uh, which family member has Peacock? Cool. All right. Which family member's <laughs> got Disney? Cool. And then we just have to spread out go. the passwords. There you go. Um, I have two quick ones that I'm going to throw out. One is where I think they made an upgrade in the recasting, and Ooh. one that I didn't even know was recasting. And I'm going to if you guys are aware that it was recasting. Let's see. Um, very early on in the MCU, all the way back in 2008, uh, we had the support crew, shall we say, for Mr. Tony Stark. <laughs> Uh, Terrence Howard playing the part of Rhodey um, lasted all of one movie. And then ever since Iron Man 2, we've had Don Cheadle as Lieutenant Colonel James Rhodey Rhodes. Um, I have tried to imagine what the rest of the MCU movies would have been like with Terrence Howard in the role, not Don Cheadle. And I can't really picture it i can't i can't see it working as well as the character has with terrence howard nothing against terrence howard he's a great actor i just think don Cheadle had basically come in and put his thumbprint on this character and just picked it up and ran with it i kind of liked how they did the transition too where like the first time we see don Cheadle in the role Tony Stark is like completely hungover and probably still drunk. <laughs> and Rhodey comes walking into his plane and sits in front of him. And Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark, kind of looks at him and he's like, Rhodey? Is that you? And Don Cheetah goes, Yes, this is me now. I'm here. Let's move on. <laughs> and it was just like, that was as much to Tony Stark as it was to the audience saying, So good. This is the person who's in the role now. We're moving on and not going to mention it again. And that's a very strong statement to make. But I think Don Cheadle has crushed it since then. I've loved him in other stuff that he's too. He yeah, was, was great. As corny as his part was, he was great in the uh, Oceans. Uh, I loved him in House of Lies. Yeah. So I just, he he does really good stuff. So I'm kind of glad they did that upgrade. They could, re- they could replace everybody in the MCU with Don Cheadle, and I'm still there opening night. <laughs> I, will, I will quickly say, and... This one, it, it had a little bit of controversy because if did. you're oh, familiar, uh, Ro- Terrence Howard flat out publicly accused Robert Downey Jr. Uh, of basically strong arming him out of that role for taking more of a financial uh, slice of the pie for the sequels after the success of Iron Man 1 in 08. Um, and for me, I feel like Rhodey, despite... <laughs> Uh, Don Cheadle being a phenomenal actor and playing the role for much longer, I feel like Terrence Howard looks and acts more like an Air Force, uh, you know, 
Air Force captain or or, or pilot than than Don Cheadle does. Mm. Like it's I guess physically he's just taller. He he has that confidence and swagger a little bit more. I I loved in the first 08 Iron Man movie where Terrence was looking at the suit and winking and saying maybe next time or something to that effect. I I could have seen him do some interesting things in this role, but it never it wasn't meant to be. You know, and, and Don Cheadle has done a very good job. I just would I would love to see an alternate reality where Don Cheadle or Terrence Howard got that role though. I think it would have been interesting. And to your point, I would agree. Terrence Howard's probably more he look he feels more military, but I can't lie, Don Cheadle makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> he just I, I just it. enjoy the shit out of him. He's good. He's good. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's circle. I got, oh, go ahead, Rob. You had, I got yeah, one quick one. You had the one that. We um, yes. So by, have 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 we all who are talking right now? Have we have we all seen Vendetta? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we know who plays uh, V, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agent who Smith. was it? it? Was Agent Smith? Hugo Weaving. Yeah. Yes. Elron. Do you know he was a replacement? Oh. I was unaware of this. Like mid movie, <laughs> yeah. What? Wow! How do you do the that? first? The f- uh, and Wait. and literally, I didn't know this until I was doing research. Wait a minute! Yeah. Uh, the first six weeks of filming, V was played by Rome star James Purefoy. Wow! And six weeks into filming, uh, Purefoy left. And some of his scenes made it into the final cut, even though Hugo Weaving took over playing the role and then doing the voiceover for everything. But yeah, some of the shots in there are still James Purefoy, as, and I was unaware of that. Impressive. I have no idea. Yeah, that's, that's a good Mind hit. Mind blown. That, wow, that's very impressive. Hatton, what do you got uh, for us? Oh, I was just going to say, uh, just to, as we circle around the bend here, just if you wanted to, any guys who have, or actors who have been replaced ever so slightly with CGI to just sort of fill in the gaps at the end. I had uh, specifically putting down um, Philip Seymour Hoffman from the Hunger Games movies was done very well. If you didn't know that he had passed away, now it's only a few scenes, but if you didn't know that he had passed away, you would never know that they've replaced some of the sequences of his with like the back of his head and CGI talking or um, reused footage of him from previous movies in spots where he's supposed to be present. Um, They did an amazing job of replacing himself with himself. Nice. Okay. May I ask both of your opinions really quickly, staying on topic with how you think they handled in the most recent um, Star Wars trilogy mm. the death of obviously General uh, General Leia and some of those scenes? Do you think they handled it well from from the standpoint of after her passing, uh, after you know uh, Episode Seven, I believe, uh, for the eight and nine? Yeah, um, wasn't Please she go. still in eight? She was briefly. She dies and then doesn't die, which was a weird decision. 
She goes yeah. out into space and then lives in space. I have problems with 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 that movie. <laughs> well, she passed in 2016. Yeah. Um, and what was the middle one again? It wasn't the Force uh, Awakens? It was the Last Jedi. Oh yeah, yeah. Hear him clicking away. So yeah, I, yeah. I, Last Jedi came out in 2017. So she was yeah. she was still in Last Jedi. So it was really the last one that she wasn't in. So did they did they do any replacement for her in in sequences or did they write I, her out of things? Like I because I know she had passed and I know I was surprised when I saw the scene where you're like, oh, this is how they're gonna do it. She dies in space. Oh, that's sort of horrible and tragic. I'm the into- wait a minute. <laughs> the fuck. She's my, my uh, you'll have to fact check me, but my understanding is some scenes where she's talking to uh, Ray were old footage, maybe even from The Force Awakens. That was uh, that was Rise of Skywalker. They did that. OK, I'm sorry. Then the last one where they had the dialogue, but it really was just old footage that they kind of sliced and, and showed the back of her head and, and yep. made it appear like she was alive. And I just. It didn't feel great for me. I kind of cringed a little bit. Yeah. Um, to to uh, follow up and prove your point here. Filmmaker CGI pasted 80s era Carrie Fisher on a doubles face. And the results are what you'd expect in uh, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I don't think I ever noticed yeah. it. I mean, it's... Again, this is a situation where they... This was not a good movie to begin with, in my opinion. So it's hard to say how much of it was, you know, cause and effect or or whatever else. But this didn't help. But what do you do in that situation? She's played the character for, you know, six movies now. She is Leia Organa. You can't. That's not a role that you recast for the last movie that Leia Organa is ever going to be in. You know what I mean? So I think yeah. you kind of have to figure out a way to make it work. So using unreleased footage from The Force Awakens, you know, wooging it around to make it uh, kind of fit the story that you're telling. Uh, in my opinion, that's probably the only really justifiable choice that they could have made. Better than Tarkin any, in Rogue One. Any other choice, they would have just, you know, Star Wars fans would have just burnt the place to the ground. And Tarkin in Rogue One is, Rogue One is a completely different situation. Like I they could have. I still stand by, and this is tangent, but they never had to pan the camera around to see Tarkin's actual face. Nope. We knew from the voice who it was... We could have had the camera over his shoulder looking out the same window into the star field that he was yep. and see his kind of blurred reflection in the window. It would have given the audience enough of his face to know who it was with the voice without actually panning around to show that horrible CGI. And it wasn't that the face was bad. It's that even in 2023, CGI cannot make a CGI tongue and the roof of a CGI mouth interact with each other the way they're supposed to when somebody talks. Everything looks very good when they fucking move, when they talk. And it's you can't hide it. No matter how realistic you make the face and the hair look, that still happens around the mouth. 
They could have just had that Justice blurry League. reflection. I, what was that I, in my mind's eye, I see the Justice League uh, uh, Superman with Henry Cavill with that awful mouth as soon as you were talking. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. Mustache mouth? Yes. I mean, oh. I, and what's funny, Rob, is I think that your point about Tarkin is the same thought everybody had is, but why didn't they just leave the reflection of the... That would have been so cool. Exactly. Why we didn't need to see him full on. We could have. You could have just teased his face. We knew who it was. Did, did John? Did uh, John Cameron call and say, "Wait, we here's some money. I want to see you do this." Like, yeah. <sighs> I'm with you. All right. Anybody got any final ones? Circle in the let's yeah, speed round. I got one. I got a a blast from the past. Um, way before I was born, but still I watched it in syndication all throughout childhood. It holds a special place in my heart. The 1966 uh, Adam West Batman had... Uh, oh, yeah, okay. It had an iconic uh, actress, Julie Newbar, mm-hmm. Newmar, playing Catwoman in season one and two, I believe. She did a great job, phenomenal job. And then from season three onward, they had... Eartha Kitt playing this role. Mm -hmm. Now, this was huge for Eartha Kitt, uh, obviously for the representation aspect of it as well, but to have a 60s-era show with Eartha Kitt, this black woman, playing uh, the role of Catwoman after Julie played the role was a huge drastic change, and she knocked it out of the park in her own right, and I always loved her in that role. I thought that that was something uh, all the way up until the maybe Michelle Pfeiffer days and uh, the most recent The Batman with uh, Chloe Kravitz. Mm-hmm. I thought that, you know, Eartha Kitt, uh, obviously, rest her soul, was the best and my favorite Catwoman. And so I liked that recasting in the Adam West old school 60s uh, Batman. And it doesn't get enough uh, attention and love for being as courageous and. Um, and re- really well acted and well done as it was. I think to your point and to the conversation we were discussing before, she took that role and not for nothing. When I think of Catwoman, 60s Catwoman, of course, I think of Eartha Kitt. The mm-hmm. way she drawled out her words, the way she took on the role, like it was so over the top into Catwoman for such an over the top show. It was perfect it, she found that spot then she carved out her niche because she is the Catwoman i think of like i don't i don't think i could imagine the way julie newmar delivers the lines they're just eartha kitt's version in my head to be fair uh once again this is a situation of follow the money uh julie newmar was filming a movie called is much more then the Batman TV series was paying her, which sure. is why she took the gig to begin with. So they needed to recast for season three. And that was where Eartha Kitt came in. It's so again, not necessarily a, like it wasn't the TV show or the director's choice. It's like, we're going to get rid of you and recast you with somebody else. They they went where the money was. So they had to do what they had to do, but still great call. Yeah, it's a, it is a, a perfect replacement, I would say. Rob, do you have any final ones to throw at us? Uh, I am tapped out. I am good. Yeah, I think Eartha Kitt's the, the one we'll leave us on, because that was excellent. Sounds good. Mr. Cthulhu's Pro- Prodigy. Yeah, yeah. Rob, you know what you're doing. Thank Go. you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. 
Joe, uh, I'm glad it didn't take as long between having you on that it did previous to this. Tell our listeners where they can find you that you and your group talks. Yeah, thank you so much. So we're on YouTube every uh, Wednesday night on for Blacker Than Black Times Infinity uh, on uh, eight thir- at 8.30 uh, Pacific Standard Time, give or take. Uh, and, you know, we'll do some, uh, I don't know, about a two-hour show just talking about all kinds of random geeky nerdiness. But I'm always on there. And, guys, it's, it's always a pleasure. You know, and, and as soon as this uh, show is over, I'm going to think of like 50 other really great examples and start <laughs> kicking myself. 100%. We do the same thing, man. Like, I'll message James the next day. Fuck, I should have talked about this too. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, so, so for anybody who is either and like late night, uh, burn in the midnight fuel people, or if you're definitely check out Black and the Black Times Infinity. Uh, you still do on Facebook as well? Is it uh, is it mostly on the YouTube? Yeah, mostly YouTube, but uh, yeah, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, all that all that good stuff. Uh, and just like we were saying at uh, I think the top of the hour a little bit, um, you know, three in the morning, everything's good. So oh yeah, yeah. no, that's true. But uh, <laughs> I I am at an age where right around eleven, my body taps out. And and I am long for the world of sleep, but on those occasional days where I am still up late, I do hop into the YouTube channel, and it's funny because you guys are even like, "Holy shit, it's got to be late for you over there on the East Coast," and it is. But when I am up, I I endeavor to try to catch you guys. Blacker than Black Times Infinity does an amazing show. They they are hard hitting. They're not as kind of fluff and popcorn as we are. So definitely. If you are of the mind and of the time, definitely please go check them out and show them. They are some fantastic people that we got to meet and interact with very early in our podcasting career. Still as amazing as they were back then. So please go check them out. Rob, are you saying we're not tough? <laughs> I'm a toughy, tough guy. We Yeah, but we don't like dig into like hard hitting, uber controversial stuff. We stay very kind of like... I'm you know, tough. cotton candy kind of level and stuff. My yeah, wife says tough. I'm the toughest. Yeah, of course she does. <laughs> All right, everybody. <laughs> and you can find everything something cast over at our website, of course, including a link to our Patreon where you can uh, hear the conversations before and after the show. So patreon.com slash something cast. Something something cast. Patreon.com slash something something cast. I knew he was going to correct me because I knew I was wrong in the minute it was on my tongue. With that said, I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob. We'll see you guys next week. Later. I'm tough. Something, 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 something. Okay, here we go.